WMEX Quincy Boston, streaming at WMEXBoston.com. And on your smart speaker, just say, play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston. They singing all night, drinking wine, spooty-ooty, drinking wine. Wine, spooty-ooty, drinking wine. That's right, kids. It's time for Wine by Design with Len Prasuti here on 1510 WMEX. Len is a certified wine educator with over 30 years in the wine industry. And on top of that, he is a WMEX good guy. So sit back, bust out your decanter, and let's learn together with Len on Wine by Design. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for that intro. Um, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last time in terms of wine and food matching. As you know, I'm super, super into this stuff. And want to just mention again, one of the reasons I really got into it is you don't have to spend a lot of money on the wine. The wine has to be appropriate for the food. It doesn't have to be expensive. You can have a $10 bottle that tastes so much better than a $50 bottle when the $10 bottle's working with the food and the $50 bottle's fighting it. So anyway, we talked about some of the elements at play in terms of the interaction between the food and the wine. We did go over the whole high acid food needs high acid wines kind of thing. Just wanted to finish that off is even within that context, Even when you know you need a high acid wine, I was tasked to do a white wine that would work extremely well with a pepperoni pizza. So I took that seriously, as you can imagine. We did over 40 high acid white wines, all of which we thought had a really good chance of working with that pepperoni pizza. But we hit upon one that was just head and shoulders above all the rest. I'm not totally sure why, but New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc works amazingly well with a pepperoni pizza. There's enough fruit there to kind of handle the spice of the pepperoni and the acidity is high and it works off the acidity with the tomato sauce to give you a little bit more of that velvety thing. But You can also use high acid wines kind of as a substitute for that splash of lemon juice on the dish. Nowhere is that more evident than Muscadet with oysters. Muscadet is an extremely high acid wine without a lot of fruit. On its own, not a whole lot of social redeeming value to that wine. But when you put it together with oysters, it's really magic. It came home to me once when I was doing a training session at a seafood restaurant where they serve raw oysters. And I was putting on a tasting for the staff where I had them bring out oysters and we tasted the muscadet with it. And someone came up to me after the tasting and said, you know, I hate oysters. But when I had it with the muscadet, for some reason, I loved it. And that's enough. Another one of the neat things about this matching thing, you're going to find yourself perhaps liking food that you didn't think you liked and wines that you didn't think you particularly cared for. But when you get them in the right combination, magic can happen there. 
One of the things that always does hold more often than not, and we talked about it before in a previous show, was the wine must always be sweeter than the dessert or it's going to make the wine taste bitter. Now, part of that whole equation and why sweet wine is so often misunderstood is you take a sip of the wine. Now, if you're not particularly fond of sweet wine, even if it has good acid balance, you say, yeah, that's too sweet for me. But when you put it with the sweet food, you take a bite of that dessert and then go back to the wine. It's amazing. The wine seems substantially drier. I had an occasion once at a tasting where it just happened to fit drop dead perfectly. And it it really came home to me how people feel about sweet wine. And there's this gentleman in the front that I struck up a conversation with, a very nice guy, but mentioned to me, I told him there's going to be a champagne there that had some fruitiness, but we we're going to pair it with a, a, a sweet little dessert. And he, did, he wasn't buying it. So the wine was poured and he took a little taste of it. Oh my God, he big sour face on him and pushed it literally away from him. Didn't want it even near him. So these crepes came out with a uh, champagne raspberry jam in them. And I said, look, please just try taking a bite of that and then going back to the champagne. And it was the Morty Chandon Nectar Imperial, which is quite sweet. Just so happened that this dish so perfectly balanced off that champagne that when he went back to it, the wine tasted bone dry. And my God, he was like, his mouth dropped open saying, I can't believe this. This is amazing. But anyway, that does tend to work more often than not. Going beyond that, and we mentioned when we were talking about wines with the Thanksgiving uh, desserts, there are certain types of wines that tend to work better with uh, certain types of desserts, like the sauterne works with the fruit tart or maybe a, a, a lemon mousse of something of that sort. Uh, port or bagnole with chocolate can be magical. You know, bagnole, if someone's really interested in the chocolate with wine thing, bagnole is incredible. It comes from a little town in France. It's the last town um, on the Mediterranean coast before France turns into Spain, into the town of Bagnol. And it's a vin du naturel, which means it's a wine that's naturally sweet. They make it the same way they make port by once the wine has uh, just a fermented a bit and still has a lot of residual sugar in it, hitting it with great brandy to stop the fermentation. But unlike port, which they're using grapes like Triga Nacional and all these other uh, grapes that are indigenous to that port area, they're using Grenache here. And there's something about the spiciness of that. that and it's weird. You taste the wine, you taste the, the, the Bagnole, and yeah, this, is, this is good. But when you have it with a chocolate, um, even just a plain piece of chocolate, like a, a chocolate truffle, it's like flavors explode and fireworks go off. There's this really amazing synergy between the two. Now, even when you're dealing with savory dishes, sometimes there's a little bit of fruit involved there. Um, you know, it could be pineapple uh, with the ham or 
sometimes with certain pork dishes and apples and all that, you do have to take that into consideration. Now, you don't necessarily need a sweet wine in that case because it's not really a dessert that we're dealing with. We're dealing with a savory dish that just has a light fruity component. Um, things like Pinot Gris from Alsace or from Oregon would work well there. Or we were talking about, um, there's a a wine, Vouvray, in the Loire Valley that has really good acidity and a touch of sweetness, and it works really well in those situations. One of the funny things, though, that we found is you have to look at where the wine is in its life cycle and the serving temperature. And by that, I mean, when you're looking for a young kind of fruity wine, you might have, let's say, a Zinfandel, a red Zinfandel that would work perfectly when that wine is first released. But when you go back to that same wine five years later, and it's lost a lot of those primary fruits, it might not be very good in that situation. And the serving temperature is huge. If you have a white wine that's too cold, it hides the fruit. And if you're depending upon that fruit to make the match, you're in a little bit of trouble there. The good news is you just have to wait till the temperature comes up a little bit. But it's kind of fun to play with these things. And I can't say enough. You got to have fun with this stuff. Hey, man, it's food and wine. If you can't have fun with it, what can you have fun with? On to another uh, category here. It's foods high in protein and fat tend to work well with tannic wines. And that's where you get the Cabernet Sauvignon uh, going on there. It's uh, the fat of the steak that you often serve it with can, can soften the effects of the tannins. However, if the wine's super young and has just been released and is just all fruit and tannin, sometimes that doesn't work. Uh, but Cabernet Sauvignon, when you're in that situation, if you use steak au poivre, the crushed peppercorns seem to pull some of the tannins out of the equation and make the Cabernet much more velvety. Uh, it is interesting, the exposed wood tannins of a buttery, oaky Chardonnay can work incredibly well in that situation, as we talked about before. I was doing a training session once where they brought out these lamb lollipops. You know, didn't have a lot of garlic or anything like that, just fairly plainly seasoned. And the two wines that I picked to show the staff how, how these things can work was an Australian Shiraz, which is considered to be a absolute natural with lamb. And this big, buttery, oaky California Chardonnay. Again, I was almost a little surprised. I didn't anticipate this because we're dealing with a, a red that's meant for lamb. Everyone there, myself included, thought the Chardonnay worked a lot better with the lamb. Who knew? A couple other factors that can be at play is when you have salty foods, they tend to work well with wines that are a little lower in alcohol and or have a touch of fruitiness to there to uh, to play off of the salt. Uh, you can kind of imagine that because when you have salty foods, very often you have a sweet sauce for it, like a, a salty ham. Uh, you often top it with, as I mentioned, pineapple or a, a cherry sauce or brown sugar butter glaze. Um, when you're dealing with that, you want to stay away from the oak 
and wines that are higher in alcohol, especially like the big oaky buttery Chardonnays now tend to be in that 14% alcohol range. And those don't work so well with salty foods. Two of the wines that work incredibly well are Champagne and Riesling. Uh, Champagne is just something that they say works with everything. I don't, I agree with that. And I don't agree with that. I agree that there are not many bad matches when you have champagne at the table. But if you're really looking for the best match, champagne's not always the way to go. But here, it with salty foods, and especially like Chinese dishes or something of that sort, it can be fantastic and provide an incredible match. One of my favorite matches with champagne when we're pulling out great tete de cuvées and we don't want to play with anything that might disturb the way the wine's showing is crab rangoon dipped in a little little touch of soy just really one of those again kind of magical things when you match champagne with it the german riesling on the other hand lower in alcohol typically and some fruitiness there works amazingly well in that same uh, situation if you have hot spicy foods those same type of wines tend to work there. The fruit almost becomes a little bit more important. I found that I kind of tailored the level of fruit uh, to the level of spice. That really came home to me once when I had this Vindaloo dish that was, I mean, it was so hot that it brought tears to your eyes. And I happened to have when when we went to restaurants would allow you to take your own wine, we take a bunch of different wines so we could try different things with it. And we did this German Spätschläse Riesling. That's a later harvest and definite sweetness, but nice acidity to balance it out. It was a perfect match with that hot Vindaloo, which we thought was going to be impossible to match. I did a um, tasting too when it comes to the alcohol part with Chris Schlesinger of the East Coast Grill. His restaurant was world-renowned for its hot food. And we did this amazingly fun dinner where there were 110 people there. And talk about a blind tasting. We served each wine with a different color coaster around it. So they had no idea what they were drinking, but it was kind of a competition between me and the sommelier of the East Coast Grill. Um, we had a lot of fun with it. The people were really into it. They were running, oh, wait, wait, I hope you didn't count the votes yet. We didn't get our votes in. But anyway, I went back afterwards looking at which wine won each flight. And in every single case, it was the wine that was lower in alcohol. And every wine was appropriate for the food because we both kind of knew what we were doing with, with the matches there. Uh, one of the things I love about that combination is, as I mentioned, you don't have to have a great wine. Way back when Thai food was introduced to this area, my wife Andrea and I went to, and you're probably not going to believe this, over 30 Thai restaurants. It was really hot at that time in both ways, you know, both in spice. And that was the cuisine that everyone was looking to try. Every time we went there, we tried all the wines by the glass and uh, all the things that we could think of to 
to play with the heat factors because when that Thai just came on the scene, it was extremely hot. We went to this Thai restaurant in Norwood and one of the wines that they had by the glass was this little California Gewurz. Now, it's a few years ago, but it was selling for less than $3 a glass. But we were really dedicated to trying everything we could just to see what worked. And Huey Lewis in the News have a song that's called Sometimes Bad is Bad. My God, the wine was undrinkable. It was so, it was sweet. It had no balancing acidity. And we looked at one another and said, you know, we can't do this. So we set the glasses off to the side and ordered a bottle of Gewurztraminer uh, from Alsace, which came, you know, was fantastic before the meal. And we're sipping and ah, okay, this is better. Then the food came and it was really hot. We took one sip of that Gewurz from Alsace and it tasted god awful. It was like throwing gasoline onto a fire. Um, it was undrinkable. So again, we looked at each other and we saw that glass of uh, the otherwise undrinkable wine and picked it up. And oh my God, it's like a magic act happened. The wine was transformed. All of a sudden, the wine was in perfect balance. There seemed to be plenty of acidity to balance off the fruit. It did not seem sweet at all. It worked so well with the food and the wine was on its own, absolutely undrinkable in our estimation. So that's, again, one of the things that you can have a, a lot of fun with. Now, you can actually use the food to bring balance to a wine that might seem to be a, a bit unbalanced. And what we found is sometimes with these reds that are a little, you know, you're hitting the red a little young when there's a lot of vibrant tan in there to the point where you can taste the tannin more than the fruit. If you use a lot of freshly ground black peppercorns on the dish, it can almost act as an eraser for the tannins. It's really kind of fun to see how that works. Now, you can go too far. And if you get too much of that ground black pepper, you'll create an intense heat that won't be good with the tannins. But if you have a moderate amount with it, it can really, again, make the wine taste dramatically better. Sometimes, and it doesn't happen as much today, but in the past, the big California Chardonnays would be overly oaked. And they would have uh, this big, super buttery butterscotchy kind of quality to them. We found that when you added something with just a touch of sweetness to the food, now it could be something as simple as a little bit of red bell pepper, or if you have a sauce there, a little touch of maple syrup, it can bring the wine into perfect balance and, and really make it shine. Sometimes when you have a wine that's a little too acidic for the food, if you put a splash of lemon juice on the food, it can make the wine work better. But you know, you have to be a little careful of that because you want the food to taste good on its own as well. 
There is something else, though, that has uh, often been referred to as bridge elements, and they have been used for many decades to help make red wine uh, drinkable with fish, like or a typically white wine dish. Uh, it one could be the tuna with a with a toasted sesame seed or peppercorn crust on it or something of that sort. There was a way of making just white, simple, like haddock, like a, a haddock fillet, where you put it between sliced potatoes, very thinly sliced potatoes, and pan fried it so the potatoes got very brown. And it helped you from overcooking the fish. So it was really kind of a neat way of preparing the fish. The brown earthiness of those potatoes really helped a red wine to work with the dish. But you do have to take into consideration everything that's in the dish or on the table. We talked about that a lot when we talked about the Thanksgiving meal. But, you know, you actually even have to be careful of the garnishes as well. Uh, this really kind of came home to me. As I mentioned before, it's no secret. I'm obsessed with this stuff. I have fun with it, but I'm obsessed with it. I drove for five hours hours once uh, to try this Tete de Cuvée champagne. It was the Piper Heidsick Rare 2002. Phenomenal champagne, maybe in the top dozen of champagnes I've ever tasted in my entire lifetime uh, at this very fine country club. To give you an idea of the level of the country club, they had a modest home that was coming for sale on the premises that sold for $23 million. But anyway, I talked to the chef and I explained to him what's going on here. He wanted to do a lobster dish. And I'm saying, you know, you can use certain elements. You can use like a little touch of ginger, but it can't be too much or it, it won't work well. You can use a little touch of tarragon and all that. And I gave him a list of about seven or eight different ingredients that he could play with. So I dropped down with the bottle and he was very proud of this dish that he made. Unfortunately, it was an actively horrible match. And I was looking at the plate. It turned out he had garnished it with fresh tarragon that they grew on the premises. It was incredibly strong. It blew away that wine match. We tried exactly, exactly the same sauce that actually had cooked tarragon in it and it was incredible with the champagne. And it all had to do with the garnish. So you really do have to look at everything there. There's another aspect of it that of wine and food matching. And the French have this saying that you match the wine with the sauce and not the meat. Boy, is there a tremendous amount of truth to that. Um, as I mentioned before, people used to say, what goes with turkey? And I say, it's the wrong question. Well, the same thing goes for chicken. Someone says, well, what works with chicken? And my next question is, well, how are you preparing it? It can have everything to do with the wine that you choose. For instance, if you have a chicken cacciatore in the tomato sauce, you're going to want to go to an Italian red that's high in acidity, like a Barbera or a Chianti that'll match perfectly with it. On the other hand, if you have a chicken in tarragon cream sauce, that's when you want to pull out your great Chardonnays. And I should probably mention at this point, 
we found in this, you know, exploration of wine and food matches that went on for years and well over 10,000 different matches that tarragon, we took to calling it Chardonnay helper. There's a real kind of synergy between tarragon that helps the big oak aged buttery Chardonnays. Um, it just makes the wine sing to the point where when we are pulling out a great white burgundy or something of that sort that cost us a lot of money and we want to make sure there's no rub with the food that's going to hurt the way that wine shows at all we'll always do a chicken in a tarragon cream sauce that we have a great recipe for that we're willing to share by the way so we've also found i'm not a big fan of big buttery chardonnays with lobster you know people say oh it's buttery butter it's going to work in my estimation, there's not enough acidity in the majority of those big buttery Chardonnays um, to cleanse the palate of the uh, of the butter of that all that fat into give you a, a, a fresh bite of lobster. The, one of our perfect matches for that is I'll mention in a second is Albarino. But if you want to drink Chardonnay with it, if you put a little tarragon in the dipping butter. You're going to be shocked at how much better that match is going to be. And it's kind of fun to play with stuff like that and discover it. Now, beyond all of those things that we've discussed to this point, certain wines and certain foods seem to have such an affinity for one another. It's like there's this magnetism that goes on between them that even when the sauce interferes a little bit, somehow that affinity is so strong that the match still seems to work and can end up being great. And we talked about the oysters with muscadet. Salmon, our first wine with salmon, is Pinot Noir. And unlike the Thanksgiving table, where you're looking for a New World Pinot Noir that had a, a ton of really ripe fruit, those styles with great acidity and the old style kind in Burgundy, like a Gevry Chambertin, work equally as well. And it seems to work even with poached salmon and or grilled salmon. The grilled salmon, absolutely amazing with it. Lamb does work well with Shiraz from Australia, but the Rhone Valley wines like Chateauneuf de Pop, uh, even a simple Cote de Rhone play really, really well off of lamb. Duck again, and Pinot Noir, the, again, for the Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir is a great red wine to match with a wide variety of foods. We talked about it before, big berry, thin skin, high acidity. It has that acidity to cut through the duck fat because duck, even when you prepare it well and render a lot of that fat, there's a lot of fat there. And that cherry berry fruit plays very, very well off the meat itself. Um, we pull out all of our very best red burgundies when we're doing that. And we came up with a veal reduction sauce with some minced sun-dried cherries in there that worked incredibly, incredibly well. Wow. Veal chop works well with Rioja. And there are a couple other wines that we're going to be getting to in just a little bit. I'm going to Finish this off just at the beginning of the next session, but wanted to end it here 
um, and just invite you to call in, not call in necessarily, email in with your questions and ideas, especially about everything that we talked about today. So true. And Len, of course, uh, this show becomes a podcast almost immediately following, which is great. Folks can eventually go to WMEXBoston.com and stay tuned for all the past episodes because, Len, you are, as always, a wealth of knowledge on the subject. And I'm really glad that we're doing this because these stories, they need to be heard. Len, all this knowledge can't just be hoarded to one person. And you're so generous in wanting to share that with everyone. And what is your email address just so that everybody can reach out to you whenever they would like? That would be lenwmex at gmail.com or lenwmex at gmail.com. And I answer each and every one personally. It's true. He does. Len, thank you so much as always. It's not Friday without Wine by Design. And I'm already looking forward to next week when you join Uncle Tony and then here at 6 o'clock as well. So thank you, my friend, and I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We did, and the pleasure's truly mine, Ben. It's a, it's a ton of fun for me to do this. Only kind of fun, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of fun. A ton of fun. There, now we're talking. You've been listening to Wine by Design with Len here on 1510, the all-new WMEX on 101.1 FM Quincy, online at WMEX Boston. Until next time, my friends, stay crispy. WMEX Quincy Boston, streaming at WMEXBoston.com. And on your smart speaker, just say, play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston.